0: Welcome to the National Gallery of Ireland podcast, a series of programs designed to take us beyond the gallery walls. My name is Sinead Rice and I'm the head of education at the gallery. I have a varied background in art practice, history and education, but my first and my enduring love is photography. This podcast series is inspired by two temporary exhibitions of photography at the gallery. Moment in Time, A Legacy of Photographs works from the Bank of America collection, which presents iconic photographs from Henri Cartier-Bresson, Robert Frank, Dorothy Alang and many more and our other exhibition, View of Ireland, Collecting Photography, which presents a selection of works from the Gallery's growing photography collection in an Irish context, with works by national and international photographers, including Amelia Steen, Eamon Doyle and Inga Marath. Both exhibitions demonstrate the magic of this art form and include a myriad of techniques, processes and prints. In this first episode, award-winning photographer Eric Luke and highly respected broadcaster Miriam O'Callaghan focus on photography, recording life as it happens and take us on a journey through key moments in time inspired by Luke's captivating images. This episode was recorded with a live audience at the Gallery in January 2020.
1: Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much, Sinead. Uh, Delighted to be here. I do not have to interview a politician for a few hours. (laughs) That's excellent news. Um, It's also a privilege for me to be interviewing you, Eric. Thank you. Um, You're such a wonderful photographer. And as we all know, uh, a picture does paint sometimes a a greater story than words ever do. So, look, let's start straight away. Why and how did you become a photographer?
2: Um, Well, I joined the Irish press in 1973. Yeah. I went into the darkrooms there, okay. and uh, I was fortunate enough. The progress, progression normally was that you went into the darkroom and you could uh, apply to become a photographer then. It was basically like an apprenticeship. Okay. It was very important that uh, people knew the workings of a darkroom. Darkroom in the press was a very, very busy place. It had with 17 staff photographers, and there were loads of contributors sending up film from all over Ireland as well to be picked up from the trains. Uh, we had six darkroom printers working. All the time, virtually uh, twenty hours a day, processing film from all over the place, including the guys who come back from every single job. I went in there and it was very, very lucky. And five months later, I was suddenly out, catapulted out in the road as a staff photographer. So um, that's how I came, how I got into it. Do
1: you think that your experience in the darkroom helped you years later when you were actually out and about doing lots of photographs?
2: Absolutely, in mm. a couple of ways. Um, Obviously practically when I was there because I knew how the darkrooms worked, I knew when Mm. the guys were under pressure and I could also muck in and have my own film as most of the other photographers could do if the guys were under pressure there and they were printing with somebody. You could just go in and process your own films or whatever. Secondly, working on film and the darkrooms and printing gave you a certain discipline as well. Mm. It's a completely different craft and uh, darkroom experience helped in that enormously.
1: Just before we talk about your wonderful first picture, how much do you love, and do you love being a photographer?
2: Um, well, if you're, if you're standing outside in the rain, That's it's like government buildings. <laughs> 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 if you're standing outside government buildings for 14 hours waiting. For <laughs> Charlie Hawley took come out or something. When okay. there's was another heave, it, it's not the nicest time at all. But uh, no, there's lots of great times for it as well.
1: Great. Okay. Look, this first one. Dublin City, tell me about this picture.
2: Right, so it's, again, I just thought I'd start off with a, with a picture. That, um, this is from the 1970s, and it's just to show uh, you know street photography as such. And um, it was just an interesting character because I was walking down um, uh, Westmoreland Street, just crossing O'Connell Bridge, and I saw this guy crossing O'Connell Bridge. Um, wonderful figure, as I said, in the early 70s. Uh, fingerless gloves, um, he's listening to the radio, and he has a makeshift antennae for the radio, which actually be, turns out to be a coat hanger, <laughs> so that he can get reception. I have no idea if he was watching, listening to a match or what he was listening to, but uh, I then just went around ran ahead of him and went to West Morning Street where I could photograph him as he came up. So, uh, I mean, again, it was a random picture. You couldn't set it up, uh, but he just it was perfect.
1: It's a remarkable picture, really, and what's interesting as well is... Do you think it's more powerful that he's not looking at you?
2: Yeah, I think that helps an awful lot because... um, uh, well, looking at you could be good if it was, a, if it was, if it was uh, showing somebody's um, uh, mood or some yeah. sort of expression, but otherwise it can look set up, otherwise it was purely by chance. And again, of course, in the 70s we had no motor drive, we had no water focus, we had nothing. So what you did actually was you nearly always pre-focused, you picked a spot and the person ran into it and that was your window to take the picture as they were moving.
1: I wonder, did he ever see that photograph?
2: it's been used quite extensively so I'm sure he's not around anymore he he may well have maybe he's still listening
1: to our right? maybe he just listens to the radio
2: yeah exactly (laughs) okay
1: our second one and you've got two beautiful ones and they're Smithfield aren't they from different times as well 80s I
2: think Yeah, The thing about Smithfield has changed so much so I just wanted to point out the fact that everybody knows Um, um, it's great to record things now because in 30 years, 20 years it'll all be gone so this is from about uh, 35 years ago and um, there was an annual um, um, a monthly event which was a horse fair and it was a great thing for for, um, uh, getting pictures because everybody was concentrating on something else they weren't looking at you also there were very few photographers around then so I've gone back through all my rolls of film from there, and there isn't one other photographer in any of the pictures. Okay. But now, if you go to an event, there are photographers everywhere, and camera mm-hmm. clubs and everything like that. And it, but there's nothing more that kills a picture than having another photographer in it, unless, <laughs> <That's> unless, <really. laughs> unless it's a specific thing like where you're all surrounding, say, Leo Radker, and then the photographers make a picture. If there's fifty, yeah. Points, but one is no good. So um, this is Smithfield, and um, it's just that the people there uh, was all uh, lovely open landscape in the background, okay. kids playing, uh, no branding on the clothing, which is great. Uh, yeah, no um, Nike and North Face and everything like that. And um, no other photographers. And it's a bang in the centre of Dublin City. It looks like it's from a long, lot longer ago than just a few years back.
1: And yet, you know, what is lovely is those four boys... They look so happy and healthy, yeah. don't they? Like, yeah. look, the picture of Yeah, yeah.
2: and as somebody said, you know, the clothes, wearing jackets and things, you know, and there's um, no runners, and there's no tracksuits, and there's no, you know, so it's a completely no. different era, different era.
1: No, stunning, It's a beautiful picture. Okay, we move on, Belfast.
2: Yeah, Belfast, now, obviously, we all covered the Troubles a lot, and... Um, I was very fortunate in that a, a colleague took me under his wing, Coleman Doyle, a very famous photographer, yeah. and he did an awful lot of stuff in the north. and uh, I used to go up with him at weekends. So, when I was, every second weekend I'd have a long weekend off, and this was one of those occasions, and we'd be in the pub invariably, and he'd say, <laughs> I'm off to, uh, 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 I'd say, what are you doing tomorrow? And he'd say, oh, I'm going to the north, all hell's going to break loose, and all that. I'd say, can I come? Can I come? And he'd say, no, no, and then it, sometimes he'd bring me. And I'd go with them. I'd be off duty, so I'd go with them for four or five days. I might have a week off. And on this occasion, it was a very uh, famous occasion because it was the Queen's visit to Belfast, and it it caused uh, quite a a lot. It was a lot of rioting. In fact, there were shootings and things like that. But the reason, rather than showing pictures of gunmen and things like that Mm -hmm. uh, running around the streets, I wanted to concentrate on this picture because it is a young boy surrounded by military of all, si- all sizes and shapes. So on the left you have the UDR, then you have the RUC, then you have the British Army. Mm-hmm. And that kid is so relaxed in amongst all these guns, If you can see the guy on the left there is looking across the buildings to see for any snipers, uh, which is a regular occurrence. Yeah. Uh, when there was a riot, um, the snatch squads would come out and that was when uh, guns were used. And, um, but this kid is so relaxed, surrounded by all this weaponry and stuff on the streets of Belfast. And I often wonder if he's still around, or if he's alive, or if he got caught up in the troubles. Uh, in yeah. fact, I've always wanted to find out since so say,
1: 1977. 1977. And also, apart from the boy, looking at those three men, you wonder: Did they also survive exactly. the troubles? And or not? Exactly, a, and that is quite likely.
2: There's quite mm. possibly, there's not the, the three or four of them still around. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wonderful. But how did you choose? Because you've you've done so many photos as well in Northern Ireland. How did you choose, and why did you choose that one from Belfast? Well,
2: I I was going to use a picture, sort of dramatic, of fellows with balaclavas and guns and things like that. When the IRA used to do what was called a a show of strength, and it was always caused consternation when they suddenly appeared in an area. But it would be an area which would inevitably be a no-go area where the troops Mm -hmm. wouldn't come in. And um, I was going to do that, and then I thought... um, I thought it was more interesting about this as to why um, um, this kid is where he is now and the fact that, again, that he, he, to him, to me, it was an amazing thing to see all these people with weapons, but to him it was just an everyday occurrence, oh, yeah. just part of his ordinary life.
1: It's a wonderful photograph. Next up is, I think, 1993.
2: Yeah. It's great. Right. No, well, I actually, I, maybe I shouldn't have shown the picture first because I often uh, describe it as um, what's interesting about a picture of two people, two women, standing at the back door of a building. And it is of enormous political significance because you might remember that during the coming up to the very first ceasefire, mm-hmm. uh, there was no dialogue going on between um, uh, any of the groups in the north of Ireland. And um, like Sinn Féin weren't obviously being talked to by, by the DUP and mm-hmm. the DUP, nobody was talking. And for the head of the state of Ireland and the head of the state of Britain had never been together since the foundation of the state, at any stage. Um, so the Times, the Irish Times, I was referring to this the Irish Times picture, I was told that they were going to, uh, that I'd been cleared and were to go over to take this historic picture and that they were going to meet in what was a private visit. And they were obviously going to send the message out to say to people that... Um, Things were okay at this level, and they should be okay on the street level as well. So um, I was dispatched over there, and I think we had about, there wouldn't have been three or four of us just allowed at it, and there was, I think, three photographers maybe, and one BBC cameraman, and no reporters allowed. And I remember the briefing beforehand. This uh, man was telling me when when they would be coming out the door, he said, just as they come through the door, the car will slowly pull up, that is your second for the picture. I said, when the car pulls up, they will not, I repeat, they will not shake hands. They will not be any greetings as such. Your president will get into the car. Her Majesty will stand on the steps as the car drives away. And that is your only opportunity to see the two of them together. So, uh, we, again, no motor rides and no water focus or whatever. And I was absolutely petrified that I would make a message. Yeah. I could hardly ask him to do it again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, um, Luckily enough, so that shot the picture and uh, then raced off and dev'd it in the hotel uh, chemicals uh, uh, colour film and um, went to one of the agencies where they whacked it across to our paper for us. So it was front. So pretty mundane picture, but very, very historic because I went back again. There was a ceasefire which broke down. And then the second time, the two heads of state, again, never before this, had met she came to the front door and this was called, not a state visit, an official visit we didn't have a state visit right up until I think uh, Michael D. Higgins Mm -hmm. so the second was was an official visit and um, it was at the front there were much more photographers allowed at that and I remember again the pressure was ferocious because we were saying Mm -hmm. we've got to get the handshake, the office saying they're going to actually shake hands, they said they're going to shake hands and you might remember all the stuff in the north about would Gerry Adams, Mm -hmm. was the Secretary of State shake hands with Gerry Adams So the second time, I remember, uh, uh, we were at the front, and uh, this lovely lady, elderly lady, came out to brief me, and I was absolutely hyper, and we're all there, and we're saying, so what's going to happen? They said, your President's going to pull up, going to go up the steps, the Queen, Her Majesty, will greet them, Her Majesty will come out, accompanied by... Prince Philip, accompanied by Prince Charles, accompanied by the uh, Duke of Edinburgh, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I said, uh, but there's so many people on the steps. Are they going to shake hands? Yes, they're going to shake hands. We won't see them shaking hands. We were side on. Yeah. And all is about uh, shaking hands. And she looked at me, looked at me up and down, and this woman did, and she said, uh, when your President is with Her Majesty, Her Majesty will turn towards you when she shakes hands. And I said, uh, how do you know she'll do that? And she said, because she's awfully good at that sort of thing.
1: LAUGHTER
2: so good for her. Form, and know, did she? I, I couldn't believe it. Just yes, they shook hands, and uh, Mary Robinson's back was turned to us as she greeted the Queen. Yeah. And slowly the Queen waltzed around, with her hand, until <laughs> so they were both facing us. Isn't she great! We got the handshake, and I said, oh. "These people know how to run a show." <laughs>
1: that's great, actually. Now that's a beautiful picture. Next up, I and mean, this is a remarkable picture of Mother Teresa tell, tell us how this came about right,
2: well so um, I was at a conference in, in, in um, I not remember it was in the west of Ireland with my boss and with everybody it was Press Photographers Association of Ireland conference and one of my colleagues had just flown back from London we had sent him the office the Irish Times had sent him to photograph Princess Diana's funeral and he I came back and he was regaling us with stories he was saying it was bizarre event he said in Hyde Park he said people were there were well-off people watching the big screens with picnic baskets and stuff he said it was you know it was a real middle class and uh, type funeral and Mother Teresa had just died that day and my boss said to me wouldn't that be an incredible contrast Mother Teresa's funeral to the Princess Diana for the, the poor and uh, he said if I can swing this would you go and I said absolutely he said We'll see what the window is between now and the actual funeral. It will certainly take a few days for them to organise it, mm. and if we can get the budgets and whatever we we'll go. So he said, "Be prepared to go." So the following day, which was Monday, I went off and got all the shots and everything, and then went to the place and got the film and all. And they gave it the okay. And the second day, later that day, I had to go to the um, Indian embassy, and I had to get a visa, and I was brought in to, to meet the Indian ambassador, a lovely fellow, and um, I remember him saying to me. Um, Oh, we had tea and everything like that. And I was just itchy to get going. And he said, I'm going to write a letter for you. And the letter will be, it was for customs. Because he said, if you go into India with your cameras, he says, you're going to have to have an import license. And then when you leave, you're going to have to have an export license. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he said, uh, this is Mr. Luke from the uh, prestigious newspaper, the Irish Times, uh, to take photographs of our dear mother, Mother Teresa, whose funeral is on. So that was fine. I shoved it in my back pocket and went off. Took off. Went all the way to uh, Bombay, Paris, Bombay, Calcutta. Uh, Never been there before. Went through all the chaos of everything and arrived at this place I was told for accreditation to cover the event. And it was a schoolhouse. And it was a queue of photographers. And uh, funny enough, uh, they were from all over the world, camera crews. And I met a guy I knew because having covered the Olympic Games, I'd met a few of these English guys. And he was there and he said, this is chaos here. He said, you have to have this pass we've been here seven hours or something when they write your name in the book, if they do that, the fellow cycles off on a bicycle somewhere else, gets that stamped and cycles back the next day. <laughs> so I went up the line and they were giving a man in full military gear was giving yeah. somebody a terrible time, they were from uh, NBC or something and he was shouting, sent them packing, the next person came and he sent them packing and I went up shaking with my passport and out fell from the passport the letter from the ambassador. So we opened it up and he said, a big queue of people behind me. And he looked up and he said, This is what I want. This is what I want. Please facilitate. This is what I want. And they were all looking, What the hell has he got? <laughs> and he just went bang, stamped that, and went, to, and, I was, and I was walking down like a crowd punch to everybody with my little note from the ambassador. And that got me through and got me into uh, my pass. So then the picture came about very briefly is um, when all the media were. Uh, the office was very good because there was a formal event in a big football stadium with all the heads of state. I said, I didn't want to go. I said, because if I didn't go there, I'd, I wouldn't get the actual yeah. people. Because over a million people had come in barefoot into Calcutta for the funeral. And there was also people in Calcutta, obviously. So it was about a million and a half, two million people watching it, lining the streets. And uh, I said, could I just do it somewhere along the route? And I knew that it was going to – there had been a dispute between the uh, Indian government and the um, uh, sisters – over where Mother Teresa would be buried, because the uh, state wanted her to be buried in this uh, official burial ground, where heads of state would perpetually visit, and the sisters knew that she didn't want that because she didn't want Donald Trump or Putin eventually coming yeah. to visit her, her place. So they had made arrangements for her to be buried under the floor in Mother House, which is where she looked after the poor and destitute. So, and they would control who would see her. So they had the state funeral. She was on a gun carriage, which she wouldn't have liked, open coffin, brought to the streets with all the dignitaries. But I was down at Mother House. Now, we weren't allowed near it, but there was an alley down to it, and you would turn off the right. So at the entrance to the alley, they had all the media tiered. So all the photographers, all the television crews, no internet, obviously, and no mobile phones. And um, I got chatting to a a policeman in the middle of the road. um, Uh, uh, we got on like a house on fire and I stayed chatting to him for about an hour and a half because I didn't want to be put behind the barrier with everybody else so eventually we heard the music of the uh, Gurkhas marching in front of her coming around the corner down the street and he said it's the time you'll have to go with your colleagues so I said do I have to and he said no you can go there if you want but you must get off the street so I took the opposite side so I would look where the media were but the opposite side so she would turn around behind me so pretty useless but I might at least get a different angle and then some people they were very, everybody was so nice it was packed they were making room for me and everything and all the media were on the other side people said to me uh, you can um, come, come, come with us and they brought me into a building and I said oh if I can get to a window now, this could be good they were like colonial type buildings very mm-hmm. run down and they said come, come and all up the stairs I could hear the music and I said I'm probably going to make a mess of this and I'll miss it <clears throat> and the doors open they brought me onto a rooftop packed with people. But the wonderful thing was, you could look across the whole of Calcutta and see all the rooftops covered with people watching the funeral. And that was a picture in itself, so it was great. They came around the corner shot the pictures from above, lovely angle, that was great, I thought that was fantastic. And next, I saw them with these planks, and they went running, and they threw them across the building. We were about five stories off, and they all ran across them. They were all saying, come, come, come. Yeah. My gear. And all these kids barefoot, never like, come, come, good photo, good photo. I, like, oh. I shut my eyes and I ran across after them. Just in time when none of the media could see it, because they'd gone in around a corner, the state was handing over the remains to the sisters who were above, so that's why they're all in the picture. The sisters are looking down as they receive the ma- remains of Mother Teresa out of the clutches of the state, because the state couldn't go any further. But it was the only person with that angle, and could, could, I could actually see it. As a result, I got back. I had to go back along those planks again, but I got back. <laughs> and um, uh, it, 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 we used, uh, flew back then. Uh, we luckily, had, it happened at a weekend, so we had a day's grace, because we didn't have a Sunday paper. Mm. And we used that in the front, and we used a full page of pictures then inside. Uh, went on to win in the World Press, so because it was an original picture that it's nobody a, else had.
1: It's an incredible photograph. Did you realise when you saw that? When like, do you realise when you're taking a photo? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: I came back with about uh, six rolls of film, but I knew which one it was on. So all the time on the way back, when you film, yeah, you're worried. X-rays will they damage it? <laughs> something? You know, it's yeah. just that precious little piece of celluloid, and you're worried about it.
1: But, so um, is that a real moment, A, of terror and then of joy, when you develop it and you see it's coming out is beautifully? Is it sharp? Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> is the exposure yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Until you have it. Uh, and, you know, particularly once we, we'd started shooting colour then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, could there be a colour cast and whatever. So it was, This uh, yes. is absolutely. And also, yeah. we, as I said, no more phones, but I was doing the the old reverse charges called to the Irish time so they got the bill, <laughs> and... Um, Sort of saying, you know, they're saying, "So what have you got? We're going to be building the paper around this. What have you got?" And you'd have to talk up the picture, but you couldn't p- p- paint yourself into a corner as well if it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, exactly. Oh no, it's an absolute. I'm not surprised. Won the World Press. Award.
2: It's just great to get it when the, all the other media were there from everywhere, from China, America, and everywhere, Europe.
1: Was that the big policeman or a different one who told you that he was educated by the Irish Jesuits? Yeah,
2: the guy who I was talking to was a ho, because uh, yeah. that's why he spoke to me for so long and he said, so, I was educated by the Jesuits. Yeah, there <laughs> you go, one. back
1: in <laughs> Ireland. Yeah.
2: And I do remember at one stage, rain came over, and all I was worried about was my cameras. Yeah. There was no shelter. And he took out this Dunstores type umbrella, one ninety nine, oh. And he had a belly of, t- so the two of us were hugging each other and all the water was running down. And I was trying to keep the cameras in. The- like the cameras, but the water was running down my neck. But uh, oh. he, he was great. He got he me through. He
1: was great. Beautiful. Okay. Charlie. I mean, that's such an iconic photo, really, isn't, contrast, isn't it? Contrast,
2: anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is just um, a, a picture of Charlie how he started the Dingle Regatta but uh, he was such an amazing figure I went down again uh, it was a weekend off uh, my colleague Coleman Doyle was going down and he said I'm going down to see Charlie and I said what's happening he said starting the regatta and I said is that the one where he uses a gun he said yeah he uses yeah. a gun and I said can, I, can you get me onto that boat and he said and there's a sort of a media boat but I can get onto it so I said you get me onto it as well so we got onto the boat with him there's actually a boat but I was trying to show him completely clear with the sky there as well. but it's just a picture I always wanted to have and you know he, he stopped doing it after that when he became stuff. So, but uh, did you ever hear from him what he thought of that photo? no no he wasn't we, he got on very well with photographers very yeah. very well with photographers he uh, photographers were uh, very um, like if Charlie Hawhey was to fall down the steps government buildings, you photograph 'em. If Charlie but once we'd finished the job and everything, we put the cameras down, you could have a drink with it. And nobody take a picture of that. There was no mobile phones or anything. You know, it was on the record and off the record. So it was a very civilised way to work. So it was like if he'd have fallen over the side, he would expect me to take the picture. But if we were out at a personal event, say, you wouldn't, you know. So that was it. But it was a picture, and you know, wind, wind the hair blowing and all, and he's quite yeah. a like uh, a lucky little fellow, but quite a, a figure, you know.
1: I'd say he loves that himself, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say?
2: Yeah. yeah, possibly so. Yeah, I think
1: he so, loved yeah. photographs of himself,
2: and he'd like to turn the gun on a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah. turn the gun on a lot of people. I think. Yeah, yeah. I
1: know. I country. do remember
2: him quote one time when, at the end of an election when he, he used to have a, a talk. He used to do a, a press briefing at the end of an election. Yeah, and he walked into the Burlington Hotel and it was full of all the media and all the British television stations and all were there and um, because it was the Thatcher Hohi era, and he got he'd have whiffed sulfur about him he got mm. a lot of attention and I remember he just walked on to him, and he looked at the audience and he said turn off all those lights and everybody was horrified all the TV lights toc, toc, toc. he said I want to see the whites of their eyes
1: <laughs> Terrifying Everybody <Hilarious>. was terrified <laughs> Hilarious Right, this is President Hillary's inauguration.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The first time, he, he did two, 76, two terms. 76,
1: I think, is yeah. it? Yeah.
2: yeah, he did uh, two terms, yeah, President um, Patrick Hillary. Yeah, he yeah. did two terms, and um, 1976. So I was about, uh, I started in late, end of 1973, so I was two years on the road, and I was very much a rookie, and this would have been an enormous event, mm. state funeral, Inauguration, anything like that. So this is an inauguration of president. Obviously, never been anything like that. And we sent six six photographers from the Irish Press to it, uh, and uh, had all the angles covered inside the castle um, uh, rooms, state rooms, uh, outside, and all. And I was given what they regard—I was the afterthought, the worst position. So I was given a place which was a balcony, looking out when they crossed when they came out. And I was told, you would probably get about one minute there because he'll take the salute and then he goes off and so-and-so, so-and-so is going to recover that. You won't see when he goes to review the troops. So i taken it. I remember when we went out and i to well, So I've got the lousiest position, obviously. I'm not going to get anything out of this. But um, fortunately enough, there was one other photographer with me as well who was actually working for Lensmen who were the state photographers. So he was doing a grand view of the, 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 the whole uh, of the square. But... Um, when they came out to take the salute, uh, he comes out and he's followed by, everybody. you can see Chief Justice Tom O'Higgins there, you can see, mm. um, I think Jack Lynch in on the left at the back, and Garfster, yeah. all these people anyway, and Liam um, Cosgrave is just uh, just behind there, just, yeah. Yeah. and um, just as he took the salute, his young daughter Vivian peeked her head out to have a look. Beautiful. And I remember she just peeked out, and I couldn't quite see it with manual lens, so focused on um, uh, Mrs. Hillary, and then slightly passed that, and then just as he donned his cap to go down and uh, uh, inspect the troops, she stuck her head out again and got a frame on it. And I raced back and uh, to the office, heart pounding, I said, God, I think I've got something different. And of course, I came to the queue and everybody was back before me and they had like 12 rolls and there's more rolls and the dark ones are perfect, but I'd worked in the dark. So I waited for a moment and I said to one of the guys, can I just shove one roll in just for a second in and pack it yeah. back? Yeah. And he said, look, I've got 30 rolls in this. I said, come on, just the one. I'll help you. I said, I'll help you, look. Yeah. <laughs> Turned off the light, helped, shoved it in, raced over and um, to the desk and they said, so what did you get in? I said, i got a great picture of it. Got a dark got a print. I said, yeah. The Evening Press, we had six editions. It caught the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth edition. We ran it on the front, and everybody's saying, "I could not believe we got something out of it that wasn't formal." But it was the, the kid who made the picture.
1: Absolutely beautiful. I, I wonder she must have loved that. I wonder. Oh if yeah, she-
2: and it, it broke. It, I remember the caption I put on was, "That's my daddy, the new president yeah. of Ireland." But <laughs> so it, it, it it broke the protocol, and those things were just so so organised, you know, that you don't get a picture. Yeah. You wouldn't get it now because everything's so controlled. Yeah, is everything very controlled? Very, very controlled. I mm-hmm. think. everything is rehearsed, even camera angles. And when they place photographers in positions, it's, you're always told, "We're giving you a really, we're putting you here so you get a good picture." But you're put there so they know what picture you're going to get.
1: Control, you, yeah. Typical. No, it's beautiful. Right, we have, I think, three or four coming up from Tory Island.
2: Yeah, just um, uh, briefly just to fly to them, because uh, Tory Island I uh, uh, went to in... uh, um, 77, I think. Yeah, 77, and um, I was again uh, chatting to my colleague Coleman Doyle over a pint, and (laughs) I said to him, uh, I've got a, a, a... the week's holidays and the long weekend so I've got about 10 days off I said I'm off to take some pictures so he said where are you going I said the Aran Islands and he fell around laughing He said why are you going to the Aran Islands I said because it's great for pictures I've seen great pictures and he said you're an awful idiot he said everybody goes to the Aran Islands you want to go somewhere different so I said where he said Torrey Island I couldn't think where the hell Torrey Island was in mean, Dublin South Dublin yeah. and he said the reason you go to I said why he said the reason you'd go there he says, "Because it's remote." Uh, he said, media won't go there because you're liable to be stuck there, which I was actually for eight days, <laughs> eight to ten days. He said, the ferry service, there is one, but it's, it, 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 some days it's on, some days it's off. So I took off in the car, went up, uh, found all the way up, used to not go through the north because of the troubles, unless you're working there, and went up to Sligo, on up to uh, Falcara and Maharorty, way, way up, up, through Donegal, way up to the very top, and um, Went down to the pier, and this is on tour, you know, not in, but I went to, down to the pier and, um, in Maharti and they were loading up bags of turf, because there's no turf on the island, so they were bringing turf in for fuel for the uh, winter, This is mm-hmm. the end of the summer. And all the turf was in these bags of odlums bags, odlums flower bags, yeah. and hundreds of them, and these small boats, there was no ferry. So they, one of the guys said, I said I wanted to get across, and he said, well, you'll have to help load these, so I load bags and bags of turf, they must have put 150 bags on this one boat, and I sat on the top of them, and we took a fair stretch of water, we took our trip over, and I landed there. There was no hotel on the island, there was no pub on the island, there was no accommodation on the island, but they told me that this woman sometimes takes in guests, so, uh, Mary Dennis, uh, so she had a little cottage, so I managed to get in there, and I ended up being stranded there for eight, ten days, I think it might have been, because nothing came after that, but... Um, it was a great opportunity to take pictures and managed to get pictures there, which uh, Torrey has changed so much now, which uh, we don't see. Um, that road now is tarmacadamed. It was just uh, stone. Uh, all the roofs are slate now. They were corrugated, you know, tin. Yeah. They didn't have thatched, funny enough. They were all tin and corrugated. And um, I've since found out who all these kids are because they've have named it? them for me up there. Yeah. And it was interesting because they were saying, um, this one is... Uh, She's in New York, uh, she's in Chicago, that one's in um, Glasgow, that's you? in Letter Kenny, and so on, so on, so on. so, yeah, yeah. That's and so I was saying, you know, if ever you guys are all over for Christmas, I'll give up my Christmas, and I'll come up to take you all again. That would be a
1: great shot to recreate it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. But um, they knew all the history of them and everything. And um, the place changed so much. This is the boat going over now, one of the boats oh. going over. And uh, you can see all the bags of turf and everything like that, and all the, all the families going across it, because there was no ferry... And then uh, I started going back again and tracing the, a lot of these people again and photographing them and uh, met the king of Tory, Patsy, Dan Rogers. So I did a portrait of him much more recently. Now, he died uh, over a year ago, but I took this picture about um, oh, about uh,
0: seven very years busy. ago
2: or so. Amazing character. I used to always uh, meet him there, and he was very good in finding out information from me about the old pictures and things like that. So he sorely missed. So that was How do you Tory get a Allen. picture? How do you do a picture like that? I mean, how do you get... Well, he was trying to show me his paintings because he was a painter, you see, and I wasn't really that interested. I was really interested <laughs> in his face. He had an incredible face, and yeah. his hands. He plays uh, accordion. Oh, the rings. Yeah, and yeah. the rings were just amazing, and his hands. He plays the accordion. So when we went to his little gallery, which is a little place, they were taught uh, uh, of, uh, an art form by the famous painter Derek Hill, who, yes, who went and they sort of all became uh, students of his, and. Um, and I looked at the paintings and stuff, and then I asked him to come over by the window and do the shot. So that's how we the shot. I always want to photograph him. Now, I have pictures of him playing his accordion and everything, the- but so did you do that at a window? Yeah, at a window. It's is a, that how the, you get the light. light. On window his light. light, yeah. And the room just fades off. then after that, you know, the light, it's- light only catches him. He actually has a black hat. That's that's why you can barely see anything there.
1: He looks really content.
2: Yeah, lovely, was he lovely fellow? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. was great. Great
0: picture.
2: Right, we're on to. <laughs> Dorky Barber. Is yeah, it? Just, just a barber when I grew up and uh, cool. always wanted to take pictures in the, this old shop and it was just an amazing place. Uh, it's, of course, long, long gone, but um, it had the signs up on the, for one shilling for a haircut and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And this guy took this now in about 1983, 4, 5, 6, I remember, yeah. sort of, And um, went in there one day and spent the day taking pictures with him. And um, just the funny thing about that picture is his son, who's now been his late fifties uh, contacted me a couple of years ago when he saw a picture in the book of this and he said would love to have a picture of that and I said absolutely um, I'll, mm-hmm. um, I'll uh, um, get you a nice print so I got a nice print and gave it to him uh, as a present and we had a cup of uh, coffee up in his house and um, he was saying because um, I had uh, given that picture to the paper and we used it uh, like as a filler. At the time in the 80s, and uh, this uh, his son said to me, uh, You know, and I'm delighted you gave me that picture. And I said, Why? He said, Because my mother, who's long gone now, he said, used to say that to him, All you ever do, you don't do any work down there, you just read the paper. <laughs> and then he says, You gave him a picture, and what's he doing sitting down reading the paper? And she said, I knew, I knew you were right.
1: That's so good. She probably killed him. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's very.
1: And there's a fascinating story about this. This is Francis Stewart. Isn't yeah. it?
2: Tell us about this. Right. Sorry for moving on so fast. But the thing is, uh, Francis Stewart. Um,
1: Incredible.
2: Well, I was dispatched by the um, Irish Times to photograph, it's an Irish Times picture, to photograph uh, an artist called Fanula Graham, And uh, it was part of a... Uh, I was doing it, I did, think I did a match in um, the Gaelic grounds in Limerick on the Sunday. Then they said on the Monday, will you stay overnight and will you go up to Clare and will you do this picture of Fenula Graham for the arts page. There's an exhibition coming up, and we're running quite a big piece on her, and we need it fast. We need it for this weekend, so will you do that and come straight back? Because they said you're going to uh, Twickenham. I was going to Twickenham for Ireland-England match the following few days, but I would go on the Thursday because we'd do the uh, uh, captain's run and we'd do the uh, minor match the following day, and then we'd do the main match and fly back on the Sunday. Very civilized times. But, so that's what I was doing, and uh, so I went over. <coughs> Fine, did the get again. Grands went up to Fanor, knocked on the door at 11 o'clock. This lady came out, cottage way out in the wilderness, and she said, um, I said, Are you Fanula? And she said, Yes, Uh, I'm here to photograph you, Eric from the Irish Times. Mm -hmm. Great, great. I I said, "Uh, We do it. And she said, Oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, Francis has died. And I was trying to think, Francis who? And uh, she said, Francis has died, my husband and then it occurred to me I just remembered that's the famous writer Francis Stewart and I said oh my god I'm so sorry look don't, we won't do anything don't worry about that and she said no no I'm all alone I don't have anybody else here and I said well where is he she said he was writing up and he's in a cottage four doors away and was writing up there and staying there while he was writing to get his and he died up there but the undertakers are going to bring him down here in about an hour's time so she said, will you stay here with me? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, forget about that silly picture for the arts page. She said, no, no, we'll still do that. And I said, oh. So I realized this was a really important gig that yeah. this man and this is news well, I hadn't gone out nor tea. Nobody knew but me. Mm. So I rang the uh, desk and I said, um, this, something big has happened here. they we'll, said, we'll bring it up to the conference Said Francis Stewart has passed away. And I said, I think I'm, you know, I'll find out what I can find out. But there will obviously be a massive funeral and the president will come down and everything. Uh, so I said, I think I should really stay. But anyway, next uh, I went off and got some groceries for her and things like that because she was all alone there and people were going to descend on the place, yeah. she said, later that day. They were all making their way from Dublin. So I, uh, the undertakers arrived, they carried him in and uh, over ditches and everything like that. And then she said to me, Will you help lay him out? And I said, Oh my God, yeah. So the two of us laid him out. I, she brought me into this room and it was an absolutely amazing room. It's like a set on an Abbey stage with all his manuscripts there, uh, his books and um, um, tapestries and pictures and one uh, light bulb and um, we laid him out and then I said um, you know I'm going to go and leave you now because you've got people coming okay. or whatever and I don't want to be interfering but I said Do you know for history's sake we laid him out now could I take a picture? She said, absolutely, yeah, why not? And so she stood beside me and she said, no, no, don't take it yet. She adjusted things and she fixed things or whatever. And uh, using available light, that, a bit of a cast from the, it was red walls all around the place, but uh, it was available light, obviously, and uh, I just thought it was quite a historic picture. It was the only picture of him laid out. Uh, then the world's media descended on it the next day, then for... Big funeral, and the t came down, the president came down, and everything. So I rang the office and said, seeing as I know everybody here, I'd stay. And they said, "Do you not want to go to Twickenham?" And I said, "No, I don't. I actually prefer to be here." So they said, "Okay, we'll we'll drop Twickenham. We'll get it from the agency." So I stayed there for a couple of days and covered the funeral. But it was that picture which was the the unique thing about
1: it. Extraordinary, but it was so lovely in a way that you handle that so well because she was clearly in shock when you know and. And that you stayed and you bought the groceries. I mean, that's a very sensitive, caring side to you as well.
2: Well, I think it's important that, you know, the picture isn't everything. I mean, the thing mm. is that, you know, you're, you're conscious of a bit of history there as well. But, mm. I mean, there's also a lot of grief and personal grief. But I knew that once all the others arrived, family, his you know, son, I think, in Lara and Wicklow were coming down and various other people coming down. And there would have been all the artistic community. I think mm. he was the... Uh, he I had a—he was big noise in Isidona and everything at the time. Uh, a very controversial figure, obviously, because of his writings mm. and all the connections with Germany and everything. But um, I knew it was a bit of history, so um, I was, you know, conscious of helping her, and then was delighted to get the picture out of it as well.
1: It's extraordinary, though. Like If you see that picture, it's the story behind it, which is, is almost as interesting as the beauty
2: of the picture. It's incredible. It often happens in pictures, yeah. though, that the, the story behind, behind it is as interesting as the picture.
1: Next up is a sport one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, was of, uh, I was going to show pictures of. I was going to show pictures of Carl Lewis crossing the hundred yeah. meters final in in in, in, in 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 Los Angeles, or one of the great sporting events, or something like that. Having done loads of Olympic games and World Cups and it's all good. the crow parks, it's a camogie. But this right. is a final. This is actually Komogi final, and it was off the weekend, and I went along to the camogie final because. It was in 1970, uh, was it?
1: 1989, is it, Eric? Yeah, yeah. It seems
2: older. And uh, because then they changed the shorts. Maybe after this picture they did. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs>
1: I'm just wondering, who is Miss number
2: seven? Well, actually, I'm not going to say... uh, okay. A very famous uh, Kilkenny. They won the match, by the way. Great! Yeah, and it was the All-Ireland. But what happened was, because I wasn't working at the luxury of sitting down there, and I was looking for a picture, I was thinking, this might make a picture of just a clash at the ash. uh, These camogie women Uh, could be a credible picture. And I was waiting for the action to start. And I watched the photographers all went up, as was always done, to do a team picture. So there was a minor match first. So I watched through a lens. The longest lens we had was a 200mm lens, manual focus. Watched through the lens of um, the photographers taking a picture. I thought, what about all the photographers' picture? That might make a picture. And then there was a slight flurry of wind. I said, oh, my God, imagine if everybody's skirt blew up or something. And nothing happened. So I said, I'll wait for that for the senior match. And then the senior match happened, and I watched as the stars went up. And Neil said, are you coming up to take the picture? I said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm going to have a cup of tea. I, said, I stayed there, and I focused and focused and waited and waited and waited. And just, bumped that just happened. And if you look at the strip of thumb, the frame either side of that, there's virtually no movement at all. And then there's one frame. LAUGHTER and um, that picture went on again in the World Press. It was, um, the World Press actually made a poster out of it. But so.
1: <laughs> well, you know what I'm wondering now? It's an amazing photograph, but in the world we live in today, I wonder would that picture get out now? You know what I mean? In other words, would there be lots of people concerned about the privacy of well, Miss Seven's bottom or Yeah, but or you see, yeah, but I'm just wondering. Well, There's a funny thing. It's is, a prime time
2: you question. <laughs> In a rugby match, if. Yeah. Uh, have you ever, ever see the guy's shorts get pulled off often in a rugby match? Yeah, fair enough. And their pictures showed. Yeah. And do you see anything?
1: <laughs>
2: I've missed those. Nowadays they wear cycling shorts. Ah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, and as I say, now the camogie, they're all, they all have yeah. shorts. But no, I just no, it's thought of us, Rather than uh, use sports. Uh, I thought it was a, a light-hearted oh, sports a picture. But again, part. it's not something you'd ever get again.
1: No. Do we know if she liked the picture?
2: I never asked. For
1: <laughs> it's a great picture. It's really good. Oh, wow. Bob Marley.
2: So um, Bob Marley uh, was sent along uh, to uh, a Bob Marley concert in Dalyman Park. And uh, um, I had never seen anything like this before. Um, I'd never... F- seen somebody with dreadlocks actually or anything like that. 1980 I think. Yeah, 1980 so, 40 uh, years ago so we're actually 40 years on the bubble yeah. and um, I went along and uh, it was a lovely summer's afternoon and it became quite a famous concert because after that he think he just did one or maybe two others and he died after that so it was nearly his last concert I was the only one in Ireland and when I saw it happening I just uh, saw the colourful, it was about 20 people on stage it was a massive arena, yeah. Pat Egan was the promoter I knew Pat and he was very good allowed me, again, no control allowed me to go wherever I wanted to go right. and none of this, you can take the first number or sound number 6 or sound yeah. number 3, just go wherever stay as long as you want so uh, I've spent the time trying to photograph his dreadlocks so by focusing on the microphone stand and then pushing it back a little bit and then waiting for as he bent his head one way before it came back again the dreadlocks would be displayed and was a picture so it's uh, just a picture I was delighted to get from a historic occasion
1: Incredible right, uh,
2: It's sort of, I always think, like, it's like the GPO. So many people claim to have been there at the time, but yeah. everybody now says they were at that famous concert, but there, there wasn't. There was about 10,000 people, but there was about 100,000 people claimed to have been there. And
1: was he, I never saw him actually in concert, was he an extraordinary presence at a concert? Was it an amazing concert?
2: Yeah, and it, it was, and it was just um, the full-on, they had this massive, I do have a picture of the stage with these uh, uh, big people, uh, 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 drawings and paintings behind them was a very big stage in, Mm. in your face uh, event and uh, now fun, like all these things he's bigger now that he's dead than he was when he's alive if you know what yeah. I mean the the albums still are played in every single radio Perfect. station and I think that picture is hanging in the, uh, the there's a Bob Marley museum in Jamaica in his old house it's turned into a museum and people have visited said your picture's on the wall and it is credited at least So
1: yeah. that's so lovely actually that it is there that obviously the people close to him really loved yeah, that yeah, photo as well it, yeah. You've got two final ones, Eric, from the west of Ireland
2: and yeah. old Ireland. Yeah, what I was thinking was that um, you know uh, people's um, faces are as interesting as well too, and a lot of the characters that you'd meet. Sometimes you'd be uh, going off to do something and you'd bump into somebody. It was quite unusual for a photographer to, if you were. Again, in a hostelry or something, and you met somebody with a great face, you'd go over and ask that person, Can I get a picture of you? And bring them over to a little bit of window light or something like that. So there's just a uh, uh, male and female from the west of Ireland, both on uh, probably seven or eight years apart, but both with great faces, which yeah. uh, indicate, uh, which are great to capture so from um, his from eyes. The west. And this was an old guy I met, and I remember I was talking to somebody, and he was over in the corner, and he was smoking this pipe. It was actually in a farmyard and he had a hat with holes in his straw hat that was weather-beaten and he had a wonderful smile and I just asked him could I take a picture of him light up that pipe there for a second he was puffing away and uh, yeah, he just a uh, lovely fellow and it's sort of timeless too
1: how do you get his eyes I mean obviously he had those eyes but is there a trick in how you make his eyes so extraordinary no I think
2: it's he's yeah. if he's interested in what you're doing you explain what you're doing and he's interested in it I think it works um, yeah. It's, a, it's a picture of him where um, he has the the beard and the old uh, tweed jacket and um, lovely clothes, actually, with that big heavy tweed jacket and coat and he's puffing away on the pipe smoke and uh, he Passing. has that straw hat and a bit of a, a glint in his eye as well. Defoe.
1: Yeah, real interest in um, life in his eyes, yeah.
2: The, the contrast then would be the picture that I've always liked of this lady because she has a wonderful face and wonderful hands as well. Uh, this uh, uh, woman I met at a cottage in uh, over near Mayo and uh, again was doing something else wasn't there to meet her but uh, asked her could I take a picture uh, did a picture inside which didn't really work at all it was very very dark and it was beside a hearth of a fire but yeah. then she, when I was going, she was talking to me, leaning over on the half door yeah. and then just started taking another picture. She had a fantastic face, lovely lady, and uh, those hands, all the hard work over the years, I'd say, with those hands. She
1: looks sad. Mm. Do you think, and this is probably this is not a anti feminist thing, but she's not married either. Yeah, it didn't Yeah, But occur, interesting, it occur just for a woman of the. she yeah, looks didn't occur she to. makes me sad looking. she makes me feel sad. And,
2: just like the apron and the, you know, hard of work in the house, probably in the cottage or whatever. Yeah. and whatever. Just, um, I just thought you the, a wonderful face and it's just a great privilege to photograph her, and um, along with him, to contrast to the people he used to meet along the way. Yeah, you know, as opposed to photographing the famous people. Yeah. Historic.
1: But their faces, you because you
2: captured them so I many. I They know captured so much. I'm hmm? no good at landscape. I couldn't take a landscape picture to, for, for anything. So uh, it's really people more than anything else. It's, people are very interesting
1: yeah well you make well, you, well obviously people are interesting but there's you create like that atmosphere as you said inside it wasn't as great because it was so dark
2: beside the hearth but there was no atmosphere it was dead um, but
1: you can see is that a stick she had as well yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah and I'd say that's a regular place for her to greet people coming into the cottage and say their goodbyes leaving close that half door and lean over it
1: yeah, and as you say, hard-working hands. They're also, I mean, aren't his photographs incredible? Um, do you, I'm going to throw it to the floor now, but do you still, if you're in a hostelry, God forbid, but if you saw someone now with an interesting face, would you still ask them? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah I'd, I'd be more inclined to, um, if you saw them, ask what they do. Yeah. Excuse me, and could I possibly um, meet up with them during the week and do something rather there and then? Okay. Right. So if you're in the West and it's a boat builder or something, you say, well, are you working on a boat at the boat? Yeah. But meeting up, shooting some pictures. And I'd always give them a few prints for themselves. And it would, um, you know, if, the thing about it is if you start... Nowadays, photographing anybody with. There's about 19 people with phones, camera phones, leaning over your shoulder, taking the same picture as well, instantly. Now everything's just bang, 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 bang. So it's much better to build some sort of relationship with a person and say, well, what would you think about next week doing a picture? They're sort of geared up for it then as well, too, and going out to where they. whether whether it's a fisherman or whether it's a barber or whether it's. Mm. whatever. I I think that's.
1: Is that annoying for a photographer of your talent that so many other people now think that they are
2: photographers just on their phones
1: or does that not
2: impact on you at all? No, but when you're working, uh, it used to it, uh, be irritating because it would be distraction for the person that you were dealing with. So if yeah. you were dealing with, say, a oh, um, politician or with somebody and you say, like, we're going to do a picture over here now. I want you to talk... And then there's people all around and they're looking at this phone and looking at that phone and that completely breaks the rapport that yeah. you started. Yeah. Try and get a picture that you're trying to get. So... Uh, I used to have a trick which actually used to drive people mad, particularly when I started first, because uh, sometimes uh, over-enthusiastic reporters would lean over my shoulder trying to take a picture. So if I was taking a picture, say, of t or Minister or something yeah. like that when we we're, were engaging where it wasn't that formal I'd bring them over to somewhere where I knew the light was completely coming in over their shoulder It's very difficult to photograph with a phone so you just get flare and you could shoot it with, properly <laughs> with a long end and then uh, they'd all come back and say, I don't know why he's doing that it looks awful <laughs> but uh, you get your own picture out of it
1: Is there anyone you always wanted to photograph and who escaped you?
2: Um, I think that anybody who's not really, but I think that anybody who's controversial can be fun. Like, I mean, if I was in the same business now, I I, I left the business uh, four years ago because I just didn't want to do it anymore, didn't want to do another general election or another. Mm. But, but I just think now some of the characters that are around, I think I'd have great fun photographing Trump. I'd have great fun photographing Boris Johnson. I think it'd be yeah. great fun. But um, equally, everything is so restricted that it's very difficult mm. to get anything different. Mm. We had times when we were able to move around with T shock and, you know, see him climbing over walls and things like mm. that. There was no, now there's so many buffers and they say this is where this is your w- photo opportunity, yeah. which actually means photo restriction. Yeah, <laughs> photo restriction. Yeah. 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 So um, there isn't really, uh, uh, in that respect. I think we were very lucky at the times we had, where we had uh, we were on first name terms with the mm. with the uh, leaders, political leaders, and we could do anything. And in fact, when very, one of the very first times I met a teacher was Jack Lynch, and it was sent up by the um, Irish Press to a picture of Jack Lynch, something the old government buildings, not where they are now. And um, I remember going up, and I met a photographer from the Independent, a photographer from the Times. Photographer and examiner and myself. I was just started. And I went up and I said, so what are we going to do? He said, take your time, take your time. And we went up to this office and there was a secretary. And she said, now boys, I knew you were coming, so I made a cake. Oh and she opened up the filing oh. cabinet, and we all sat down, and we had cake and tea, and I said, what, so about nice. the, what about the tea shop?" And she said, he's busy in there. When he's ready, we'll take the picture. And we all sat, and they all said, this is normal. And I said, God, this is great, isn't it? And then, we, then she says, um, the phone rang, and she says, okay, and she says, boys, finish up your tea now. <laughs> and then we went in, and I was shaking, and we took this picture, and they were all, you, Jack, what do you think of this, and what do you think of the hurling, and they were all chatting, oh, and, everybody. and I said, my God, this is, this is unreal, this is unreal, I didn't believe it. to only just started in the business, and this familiarity between, uh, there wasn't any so nice. barriers, and there was no um, press officer. No. He so it was, it was
1: gentle, apparently. Yeah. I've never met
2: him. But nobody would take a... Uh, not a bad picture, but nobody would go out of their way to try and take a, a, a sneaky picture yeah. or something like that. You know, um, now you'd nearly, I, to be fair, to politicians, you'd be nearly worried that if you went to the bathroom that somebody's going to follow you and take a picture, or even with a phone yeah. or something, and it'd go up and.
1: To get um, a bad picture or yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: What was that one in Britain where he was eating the burger? You know, that politician? Yeah. Movie, yeah. 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 Who'd like to ask Eric a question? Yes. You your... <laughs> Only time for one question. Well, someone ask a question. Yeah, great. Man at the back there in the left. Oh, there's
2: two. Eric, thanks very much. Do you always ask for permission of somebody before photographing them? Um. It depends. I'm not not required to ask for permission ever if it's on a public street, on a public area. You never actually have to ask for permission to take a picture, and you can publish any picture you want on a public street of anybody doing anything. And the reason behind that is it can be seen by anybody anyway. Uh, Private property is completely different, so you don't. So that's why there's often this, uh, with paparazzi and whatever, there's often this uh, uh, issue as to... Private property, and I know that the law, as far as I know, is that if you can, you can still take a picture in private property if it can be seen from the road, because you're not showing something that can't be seen anyway. Um, this actually was brought up by Mary Robinson. We had a conference in uh, ballina press photographers' conference in Ballina, and she was running for president, and she was a constitutional lawyer and we got her to speak at our conference and that was, we brought that up and that was actually the theme about when you can take pictures and when you can't because we had had a lot of incidents like I had film ripped out of my cameras by the uh, special branch when I took pictures of uh, troops going into Port Leash to quell a riot uh, of uh, IRA prisoners in there and talking about now the uh, late 70s and she could explain to us that they actually had no legal right to do that whatsoever and then I sort of said well what about if it's a military establishment so she had gone through the law and said no, no uh, once you can see it from the street whatever and then we asked her also about citizens and whatever and that law still pertains to anything uh, that you can see uh, can be photographed um, and published but ironically the pests are not us, the photographers, now. The pests are the people with the mobile phones who just go and take everything everywhere, of everybody, yeah. and put it up on uh, uh, Facebook media, and Twitter yeah. and uh, Instagram and everything, and they're uh, totally without any accountability whatsoever. Very interesting. But if I have a choice, I certainly would. I like people to know I'm there, that I'm doing the picture. As opposed to well, somebody walking down the street or something like that, it's... Eating that burger yeah. or something, especially if they're going to a match and it carry yeah. colours or <laughs> Dublin colours or whatever. Hi, Eric.
0: Yeah. Um, I was just wondering,
2: in 30 or forty years time, do you think photographs can be as powerful as they were in your time, twenty or forty years ago? Yeah, yeah, and even more so possibly, because I mean, there's fantastic stuff being done at the moment, and there's amazing pictures being got with mobile phones. And the, mm. the I mean, the world is awash with pictures now and images from everywhere. But um, there are some great images. You just look look at the feeds at night from people that they put up. There's some amazing pictures being got because there are cameras everywhere.
1: Mm.
2: Everywhere. So, you know, there's nothing that isn't photographed now. I remember people used to, we used to go around and have a camera with us and it was a big deal to have a camera with you. Mm. And, um, in fact, in Mulligan's pub, you used to see all the cameras on the floor as people had gone off for their pints and just thrown all their cameras on the floor, the photographers, and they'd leave one guy looking after him, and he was talking to somebody else. Nobody was looking, was looking at all these cameras. But um, uh, now, everybody's a phone, so everything's photographed to death. Yeah. You look at any concert or anything, you just see a sea of phones. Mm,
1: it's true.
2: But, um, no, I think that... Uh, sorry to answer your question not very well, but I think that um, photography will be, you know, it's just... just changes like music, just changes. No, I've actually gone back to shooting black and white uh, film because I just like the slowness of it and hmm. processing my own films and I don't have to have it instantly so. but it's different, a different thing. I, I think it's just getting better all the time.
1: I'm going to hand back to Sinead now yeah. final thought from you Eric Luke for any wannabe photographer in this room, a word of advice, what would you say to someone now who either is starting out as a photographer, or is a photographer,
2: or wants to be a photographer? What would be your key line of advice? It's it's wide open in the way that it's much more accessible than it ever was now. Mm. And everybody is a broadcaster. Everybody is a publisher. So, I mean, once somebody starts taking pictures and puts them up on the web, puts them up for everybody to see, I mean, their phones start ringing with... um, uh, 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 television stations, radio, um, newspapers, uh, publications saying, "Can we use that? Can we use that?" I often see in brackets for free, basically. But I uh, okay. say that you know mm. they're using their skills; they should charge for it. But um, it's a great opportunity for anybody. It's easier now to get into the business, but equally because there's more people in it, is extremely competitive. Yeah. Okay. And the world is a wash. The last thing I'll just say is, just to, people often think, "Why, why isn't a picture in a paper?" <coughs> I think our paper on a day would have page one, page three, possibly the courts. Well, the court, one page be taken courts, one page be taken politics. There might be two, three slots in a whole paper which aren't pre-planned that are available. We'd be all, when I was working, trying to hit those slots. Right. And on offer, they get every day probably close to 3,000 pictures offered.
1: Wow. Oh, my God.
2: And they'd be everything from a crocodile in the Nile to a <laughs> kangaroo in the bush forest to Boris Johnson slipping down the steps of a plane to blah de blah, blah blah all for that slot wow. and those slots, you know, that and all around Ireland as well. So it's, um, it's, it's uh, wide open for anybody to go into, but very hard to get noticed in amongst a sea of images that are floating around there, out there.
1: Well Eric, thank you so much. It's been a privilege to talk to you and congrats on your absolutely stunning career.
2: Thank you.
0: You have been listening to the National Gallery of Ireland podcast. This series, inspired by photography, is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Subscribe to our podcast at iTunes or SoundCloud or visit nationalgallery.ie